I'm Professor Lucy Rogers, the inventor with a sense of fun. I've judged fighting machines on Robot Wars, written a book on rocket science, and even performed stand-up comedy. But now, I have a new challenge. DesignSpark want me to find out how everyday tech is helping people and places do extraordinary things. From saving bees to unlocking a sixth sense, just how are they giving themselves the engineering edge? I'm in the kitchen making a spaghetti bolognese. One of my favourite things to make, but the thing that really, really sets my spaghetti bolognese off is the basil. I love basil. Put the onion in to fry. I love basil in all sorts of things, all tomatoes, salad, all great. But in the spag bol, that's really good. So I'm just going to pull some of my leaves off and start tearing them up. I get through quite a few basil plants, but I'm not always the best at looking after them. Ah, oh, that's Tiffany, my producer. Hi, Tiffany. Hi, Lucy. I hear you're having trouble looking after plants one away. Yes. Yeah, I always forget to, well, I forget about my plants and then they don't get watered and then they die. Well, what if we could use everyday tech to look after our plants for us? Ooh, that's interesting. Well, that's your mission for this episode. Find out how people around the world are using everyday tech to grow food. Nice. I like it. And then my basil plants won't die. Let's do this. I'd love to be able to leave my herbs and plants while I go on holiday and have them water themselves. But that's a pretty small way of using technology to grow food. But I think what's really interesting is how this can scale. Say for plants that need a lot of water on farms and in places where water is a much more precious resource. And I found a company called Mimosa Tech doing just that in Vietnam. Farmers have used their tech in the Mekong Delta, a major agricultural area on the southern coast. So I'm calling the company's chief operating officer, Lan An Lei. Hi Lan An, very good of you to join me today. Yeah, thank you. Hi Lucy. It's my pleasure. You're in Vietnam. What kind of agriculture is common there and in the Mekong Delta? In Vietnam, we are the country of agriculture, and especially in Mekong Delta area, we are famous for rice production mm -hmm. and also other food production, fruit, tropical fruits. And what kind of issues are the farmers in the Mekong Delta facing? So for the past years, we have been suffering from the impact of climate change and with uh, unpredictable weathers. So the farmers, they still have water, but that waters are too salty. And it's not suitable for rice growing. Uh -huh. And it's, but also in certain season, we have problem with the drought. So not enough water for the farmers to grow the crops. So the, in the past, the farmers in Mekong Delta, they have never had 
any concern about water, but for the recent years, it has become a real concern. Like either they don't have enough water for watering their farms, or they have water, but that water are not suitable for crop production. So, how is Mimosa Tech helping these farmers? So, what we introduce in the technology is called Internet of Things technology, and to apply in alternate wet and drying techniques. So, this has been um, a technique introduced to the farmers. Uh, in the traditional ways, the farmers always keep their field flooded with water. Mm-hmm. But the rice doesn't need water all the time. So the agronomist did research and show that throughout the crop cycle, the water level can be alternate. Certain it should be flooded, but certain point in time it should be let dry. And even the water level can need to be like go down below the ground level. So we apply that knowledge into the technology where we have the sensor devices which can tell the farmers the water level at the field. So nowadays the farmers, they also use smartphone in their daily use for communication or other use. And now they can even use the phone to manage their agriculture farmings. So they can see the water level from the phone. And even if they have the infrastructure required, they can remotely control their water pump to control the water level in the field. So which makes the use of water more efficiently for the farmers. That's great. So in my uh, memory, I I think of rice fields as, as completely underwater. But your science experts have said, no, you don't have to. You can keep it wet and sometimes keep it dry. And then you're using technology to actually help the farmers know when it needs to be wet and know when it needs to be dry. Yes, yes. And what technology does the farmer need? So in terms of infrastructures, as long as there is internet connection in the area, so basically like telecommunication. And thankfully in Vietnam, we around 90% of our country will have the telecommunication connection with infrastructures. The farmers will use our device. Our devices are wireless, so it can be installed in the, in the field for this water level sensors. We call it the uh, IoT, Internet of Things, TWIP. So basically, this is a tube in the field which the water level sensors and can measure the water level in the field. And uh, the farmers will need the, um, if the field, they have the electrical supply, then the devices of the gateway to send those data to the internet and to the for the farmers can be installed. But also in the case of without electrical supply in the field, we can still have the gateway powered by solar panel, ah. which can work automatically in the field because in the large field, we we may not have electrical supply available. And the beauty of the technology is that if the farmers, they have other devices on the field like water pump for them to manage the water level, like pump in the, wa- the water into the field, they can even remotely control that water pump. So the farmer has the sensors in the field and it sends them a message saying you need more water. But if they've got electricity and a pump, then actually they could still be sitting in a cafe or, or doing other work and actually press go and just water their fields without being there. 
Yes, yes, exactly. Let's say if in the it's in the evening or it's in the if the weather is harsh, so the farmer they can still stay indoor and can control the field. And especially for the farmers in Vietnam, usually because the farmers are aging, as the younger generation tend to work in the cities and in other segments. So the farmers, when they get older, so we cater to. They have the choice if they use technology, then they less labor intensive, so they can still manage their field with the help of technology. And how else are, are farmers using technology in in Vietnam? We the company started about six years ago, so at that time it's very challenging for us to convince the farmers to try out the technology. However, for now we can see it's very different. That now we have more than thousands of farmers who have been using the technology in Vietnam. I can see the benefit to the farmer for saving labor. Is it saving water as well? Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what we are trying to do because the problems that we, when we started this journey or this company is that we see that the farmers in Vietnam mainly based on their experience to grow the crop. And because of the basic experience, they may not exactly know how much the crops needed the resources in terms of water or fertilizers. And then we, we figure that The science and the technologies are the tools to help the farmers to measure what exactly the crops needed. So those sensors and those agronomy knowledge will be the database and the benchmark to tell the farmers what the crops are needed in terms of waters. Or we have other technology that help the farmers to manage their fertilizer application as well. So basically, use the technology to understand how much the crops needed and apply the right amount of the resources that are required for the crop. All right, so we're actually giving the right amount of the right things at the right time. Exactly. And I, I can now see that this is really going to affect farming in Vietnam in the future, not only saving labour, saving water, but also better yields and a better crop. Yes, exactly. And also we are trying to raise awareness of the farmers and other users of technology in terms of leaning towards a sustainable development, sustainable practice. Because when we use the right amount of water or provide appropriate amount of fertilizers to the soil, we can help to preserve the environment the water and the soils. So it's become more sustainable in terms of farming's production and at the same time for the for the health of the farmers as well. It, it's all sounding wonderful. It's an absolutely fascinating story. Thanks ever so much for joining me and, and telling me this, Lanan. Yeah, thank you very much, Lucy, and have a good day. Thank you. I love the fact that these farmers in Vietnam have taken on board the the information from not only the technology companies, but also the agricultural experts. And even though they may have been farmers for generations, they're adapting and adopting this new technology and it's working for them. And the reduction in the water that they actually need, so the water conservation, that's 
in an area that's already impacted by climate change. It's wonderful. So what Lanann and her team have been doing is absolutely amazing. And I want to see if I can do it on a, a tiny, tiny scale at home with my own plants. So I'm going to set up a bit of an experiment with some sensors and basil plants. I'm now sitting at my kitchen table with the Grove Smart Plant Care Kit for Arduino. And this is a, a functional kit that helps monitor the environment and take care of plant growth. So let's have a look. Okay. Oh, a whole load of little bags of things. That's the moisture sensor that I'm looking for. It looks like it looks like a pair of trousers, tapered trousers, gold on the bottom half, and the top half where the pockets and the belt would be is a dark blue, and then some electronics at the top. It's got some electronics in that, so that's going to have to plug in with a cable. Let me find a cable. There we go. There's a nice little socket there, and clip that one in, and that goes into, uh, there's a, I've got an Arduino and it's got a hat, so the hat has got a whole load of sockets on, and I'll just plug this into one of them. I've got two basil plants, uh, one that's got the moisture sensor in, and one that I'm just going to ignore for a week, and connected up I have got a jug of water and some piping. So the pipe goes from the jug of water into the pump. From the pump it goes into a flow monitor sensor and then a tube from that goes into the saucer that my basil plant is in. So what's happening is the moisture level in the plant is going to be monitored and when it reaches a certain level which I've set um, on the Arduino it's going to start the pump water the plant. Now that I've got all this kit set up I'm just going to leave it for a week and see what would happen if I went on holiday for a week and ignored my plants. Would, would the sensor actually manage to water it okay or Am I going to have dead plants? Let's see what it goes like for a week. While I'm waiting for my basil experiment, I wanted to see if I could talk to anyone else who was working on this, perhaps someone closer to where I live in the UK. And I found a company doing just this in Bristol called Let Us Grow. There's a pun in there. They're using sensors to do a very different type of farming called aeroponics, paired with vertical farming. I'm calling up Adam Waterman to find out about how this all works. Hi, Adam. Thanks for talking to me today. Hi, Lucy. Nice to meet you. You're growing plants using aeroponics. Can you explain a little bit what aeroponics is, please? Obviously, the classic way of growing plants is in soil outside. It's pretty normal. Um, and then in greenhouses, often there's a term called hydroponics, which is where you are growing plants without soil. 
And simply all that's happening there is all of the nutrients required for the plant to grow is dissolved in the water, and then they're in a small, deep waterbed for them. And all of their roots sit in the water, and they get um, all of their nutrients from the water. In aeroponics, instead of having the roots constantly submerged underwater, which is what would happen in a hydroponic system of certain types, we actually mist the roots with, basically, we take the same nutrient water, but just apply it using a mister. Basically, as I'm sure anyone with houseplants knows, if you overwater plants, they tend to become quite unhappy. Yeah, they don't like that. And yeah, and you can have, to some extent, you can have the same thing happen a bit in hydroponic systems. They do a lot to compensate for that. But plants, they absorb an awful lot of their oxygen from their roots. Mm -hmm. And they just don't like getting overly watered, basically. Using aeroponics, you still keep the roots relatively dry, which is kind of what we're thinking about it, or relatively speaking. Uh, but they still get all of their nutrients and still have access to all of the oxygen. And it just makes for a healthier, happier and faster growing plant. And what's the benefit of aeroponics? Faster growth rates, better yields. We've grown baby lettuce and gem lettuce. Yeah. And we've grown those in 18 days. Oh, wow. That is quick. Yeah. So why does it grow so quickly? It's about more than just the aeroponics because we're doing what's called controlled environment agriculture. Um, right. So that's like the industry term for vertical farming. Mm -hmm. And in controlled environment agriculture, you basically need um, four things for plants to grow, which mm -hmm. we use the anagram of life, which stands for lighting, irrigation, fertigation, being the nutrients, oh, right, and yeah. environment, such as temperature and humidity. Yep. The four components. Nice acronym, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Basically, if you look at agriculture, throughout the whole of human history, we've already been assisting or controlling two of them, which is irrigation and fertigation, yep. where we've been watering plants when they need more water and adding nutrients, whether it's through you know ancient methods of just fertilizer and dung to like more modern techniques. But controlled environment agriculture is really just bringing in the other two. Greenhouse was already doing a bit of both, really. Um, it's used to improve the temperature and humidity for the yep. plants. They're now doing a light top-up, so to speak. So if there's not been enough sunshine or the days right. are quite short, yep. they have LEDs in the greenhouses that provide additional light, which basically if they'll monitor the light levels and then top them up yep. if it's required. And then controlled environment agriculture or vertical farming is just taking that another step further where you're bringing direct control over all four of them completely indoors and stacking your plants up on multiple layers. So basically, you, you don't have to rely on nature anymore. You can actually do all those things and make sure that it's at the optimum for those for whatever that plant needs. Yeah, exactly. And so as much as our aeroponic systems definitely help with the yield improvements, it is also down to all four of them and just having like the optimum environment on all four of those metrics, leading mm -hmm. to just very happy, very healthy plants. So is this a cost benefit? So it varies hugely depending on the crop you're trying to grow, mm -hmm. obviously. So some crops would have, you know, the last ones that would ever really be grown effectively in vertical farms are things like uh, wheat, you know, three-month grow time. And then out of your small bed, you only get a relatively small amount of grain output. So that one wouldn't be very cost-effective to grow in a uh, vertical farming system. Uh -huh. Whereas other ones, such as the the gem lettuce or fresh greens and all of your local greens and things like that, those or strawberries as well mm -hmm. and other such fruit, they're, they've got a much faster growth rate and a much faster turnaround. So they're much more. And we have cost parity on those crops where growing them in our system is right. as cost effective as growing them in other classical systems, I call them. So you, so you mentioned that they're, they're vertical farming. So all, are all these plants like stacked on top of each other? 
Yeah, you can imagine bunk beds, basically. Multiple bunk <laughs> beds of plants. <laughs> I can imagine all these baby lettuce in bunk beds now. <laughs> that, that must be a benefit for footprint of, of the amount of land that's needed. Absolutely. If you're looking at agriculture as a whole, um, the most interesting statistics in, that I've come across are if you take all arable or habitable land on the planet, mm-hmm. which is land that's described as, I think, having more than one third vegetation cover. Right. So that can still be some pretty rough, rough and bare tundras for still considered arable land. Mm-hmm. If you take all of that land that exists on Earth, 50% of it is currently used for agriculture. Right. Yeah. So we use half of all the land on the planet currently. And actually, in terms of all human land use that we have to date, 99% of all land used by humans is used for agriculture. So wow. all of our like urbanization, cities, roads, railways, mm-hmm. even things like strip mines or oil farms or you know giant things that we think are environmental disasters account for less than 1% of our land usage and agriculture accounts for 99%. Gosh. The rest of our land usage. Uh-huh. So reducing in terms of like trying to tackle climate change or increase biodiversity or regreening and all of these things that we hear about and are definitely good ideas. Mm-hmm. Reducing the footprint of yep. agriculture is and being able to do more with less land is really high up on like the benefits. So when you're spraying these uh, these plants with the mist how do you know mm-hmm. that you've got the right amount of the nutrients the right amount of water the right amount of light you must have sensors everywhere so we've also got temperature and humidity sensors we've got ph sensors for measuring the ph of the water we've got nutrient and ec sensors that uh, measure the nutrients within the water ec sensor ec stands for electrical conductance Okay. And is used as a um, rule of thumb number for how much nutrients is in your water supply. A lot of nutrients takes up the form of salts such as like potassiums and nitrates and things, which actually increase the electrical conductivity of the water. Right, yeah. So as the electrical conductivity of the water goes up, you know you've got more nutrients in your water. Yeah, we'll also have some light sensors, so we'll take readings of the lights and how much light intensity is at bed level. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, water level sensors. We'll basically use it to help develop these recipes. So we'll look at the exact environment that the plant was growing in and then compare that to the yields we were getting at the end. Yeah. So if you've got some crops that performed really well, you can see exactly what conditions were around to cause them to grow really well. Yeah. So you, you've, it's basically a lab that you're, yeah, you've got at the moment is you're, you're using these sensors to find out what was it out of all these things that made my lettuce grow so beautifully. Yeah. Um, and can I repeat that? Yeah, definitely. How can we use this technology for of the finely tuned mist and light to change how our food is produced in the future? One of the biggest impacts will be reliability and also hopefully a reduction in food miles. The ability to produce salads all year round very close to your food source yeah like very close to your cities means that like your food miles will be significantly reduced mm-hmm. so it definitely uses more energy because we're using leds and these like hrac systems than like classical farming but once you take food miles out of it and also increase the stability and reduce the land usage mm-hmm. it becomes a very green option for producing food and also giving nations the ability to be food independent Yes, I can just imagine somewhere further north, Iceland, for example, um, which must have a, a shorter growing season than the south of Spain. Um, yeah, being really mm. pleased with such a thing. And I, I assume everything will taste that much better if it hasn't got to be transported for so long. Yeah, a lot of these 
products, again, you get in the supermarkets are just, they're not grown for taste or nutrients. They're grown for shelf life right? because they've got to travel so far. So if you bring mm-hmm. that production closer to your source, then it means you can go back to kind of growing for like taste and nutrients and you don't have to just make these tomatoes that will be huge and last forever. So th- this is th- the future of farming then? The idea that it's going to replace every type of farming, um, I don't think is true, but I certainly think it can have a very good, a big and positive impact. That's absolutely fascinating. Thanks ever so much, Adam. Yeah, no problem. I've basically been ignoring my plants for the last week, so now's uh, time to come and check on them. And <laughs> oh, okay, the one that I had put all the watering system on, I had fortuitously put on a tray. So it was the plant was in a saucer, but then I put the saucer on a tray just because. And I'm pleased that I did because I flooded it. Oops. Um, yeah, there's, there's about an inch of water in there. Plants looking healthy. Plants looking really good. So well, maybe it likes being drowned. In the other one. Oh gosh, that's a lot drier. And the leaves all look a little bit on the sad side. Little bit floppy. Yeah. Oh, that one didn't survive at all. Well, that wasn't a great success. Well, it sort of was. I told it that when the moisture level dropped below a certain amount, turn the pump on for 0.1 litre. But I let the pump go into the saucer rather than on top, and the moisture sensor is on the top. So it will have taken a while before that water will have been sucked up and made the uh, the soil damp at the top. So there must be some kind of delay that says, oh no, the moisture sensor is still dry. I will put another 0.1 litres in. Oh no, the sensor's still dry. Up another 0.1, another 0.1, another 0.1. I'm actually quite lucky that it didn't flood the tray as well. Oops. So looking at these sensors, what would have I done different? There's probably some kind of time interval that says wait for five minutes before you re-check uh, the, the sensor levels. I could have used the light sensor that comes with it, but I think the moisture, actually the moisture sensor is pretty good. I mean, it would be nice to be able to control the lights. And that's, I think, one of the the great joys of the vertical farming is you can control everything. But also I, I like the whole moisture sensor thing in Vietnam. They know whether their rice fields need flooding or not, and it's saving water. And as we know, you know water is a, a limited resource, fresh water. So all we can do to conserve our natural resources, I think the better. And if we can do that just using something as simple as a moisture sensor. That's brilliant. Right, I've got a plan for all this tech. It's everyday tech, it's so simple. My work here is done. Must be time for an ice cream. 
The Engineering Edge was a Why Did the Chicken production for Design Spark. It was hosted by Professor Lucy Rogers and produced by Tiffany Cassidy with Dan Page as the executive producer. Special thanks to our guests, Lan-Ann Lee and Adam Waterman. If you enjoyed listening to the show, please do three nice things for us. Subscribe, rate us on iTunes and tell a friend. These things really help, so please do those. For more episodes and bonus content, head to designspark.com forward slash podcasts.